Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Very lucky to have Philippa Snare. Uh, Philippa is the Senior Vice President for EMEA at the Trade Desk, and she's going to tell us about the Trade Desk and the amazing work that they do. But she's, um, I've known Philippa for some years, and she was very successful in Facebook, where she was the Director for EMEA, a global, the global marketing group, but also stood in as the global CMO as well. At Microsoft, she was the UK CMO, and she's got uh, amazing experiences before that. But I picked up her, her LinkedIn post about herself. And I, and I find Philippa has always been very clear about what she stands for, what she doesn't. And, and here, I just want to read this to you. Goal, her goal, to become one of the most professional, well-respected and renowned people in the digital and the tech industry, known for being fair, effective, efficient and knowledgeable. I love being British and I want to make the UK the best place to work and show how diverse teams are the future of a healthy work environment. I've often found that to be utterly how she stands. To further my success and influence in a challenging and dynamic environment has to be forward thinking, has to be about digital advancement and has to be about people and customers. And my style, I love learning, I love people and I love leading. Over time, I now know more about what I'm good at and what I need others to help me with. I respect people, treat them like I'd like to be treated and encourage and support a healthy working and fun environment for me and my teams to work in. Because I have a positive and balanced outlook, people achieve great things. And in the process, I get to work with happy, motivated and highly engaging people. She's a proud member of WACL, which you'll hear about in a minute. She's a NED at Redgate Software and she's a professor at Coventry University as an advisor to the board. Philippa, lovely having you on the series. Thank you. Well, so good having you here. So to tell us about I'm really excited about the Trade Desk and what it does and why it can be different from the other two options that people have got for digital marketing. But tell us about the current role and your career journey into leadership, really. Okay, well, um, the Trade Desk is a, an incredible company um, and it's probably a hidden gem. Uh, it, it's not a consumer-facing platform, um, but it is a place that you can, as a marketeer, buy advertising um over the open internet and what I mean by the open internet is uh, any other website or app or um, place you go to to consume um, data and content or um, uh, great publishing or journalism um, uh, other than like the walled gardens like Google and um, Facebook so if you're a if you're a consumer um, you spend a fairly small percentage of your time on those two properties and you spend a lot of your time um, on the rest of the internet um, and if you're a marketeer and you want to uh, connect to that consumer and reach them uh, you can either go on to those walled gardens and pay for advertising that only uh, happens in their environment or you can go onto the trade desk uh, and you can use the trade desk to reach the rest of the internet. So it's actually got a higher reach um, and a higher um, success rate in targeting bigger sets of audiences for your brands. Um, uh, and it's a very, very effective um, platform to 
create like data-driven marketing, so much more targeted, much more open, much more transparent. Yeah, and, and open and transparency seem to be the thing as we were chatting to you before. You were very attractive, having been worked for great firms like Microsoft and Facebook, who were really good. There was something special, and I love that quote about uh, if you'd take someone on or you wouldn't hire them. Go on, tell us what the quote was and, and the culture that they have about the people they, they'll hire and the people they won't. Well, I mean, I think hopefully all companies feel like this, but there's a definite strong theme that, um, you know, well, I'd rather have a hole than an arsehole. So um, uh, the trade desk are very careful about who they hire and um, they, they're very protective over their culture and uh, making sure that we have, like, you know, really great people that um, are going to treat everyone with the, the respect that they like to be treated with. And, and it's a very respectful environment. And I think... It's unusual um, to to get to a certain size where you can still uh, hold those values uh, dear. And certainly, certainly in my previous employers, you get to a certain size and then slowly that that bar seems to lower. Um, whereas I haven't found that in the trade desk, so it's uh, it's awesome. Fantastic. Is there anything particular that they do to 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 keep that bar? It's probably quite a difficult thing to to do after a certain size, isn't it? I think, I mean, uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but they definitely hire people that believe in the purpose um, rather than just the product. The, pro the product's amazing, um, but the the purpose behind what the trade desk is trying to do, which is, uh, you know, to try and keep the, to help help people understand that if you want to still have access to the best quality journalism and the best quality content, um, you want to still go to your favorite websites uh, and you don't want to pay for it, then the um, the deal is that you accept advertising. But that advertising doesn't need to be poor advertising. Uh, that means that it's still um, it can be good quality, relevant, important like, information that you you're ready to receive and it's useful. It's additive to your kind of web experience. Um, and believing in in that that the that advertising doesn't um, you know doesn't have to be cheap nasty and and it, it can be really useful to people and it can be infotainment and um uh, uh additive to their lives uh, that's that's kind of what's brought everyone together mm, yeah. so It'd be, it'd be nice to read really a little bit more about you and your your actual sort of career journey in, into into leadership because because like Jonathan says you've you've come through some some really impressive roles really impressive companies what how did you how did you do that how did you get into to leadership well I think I mean I think everyone says this but I have been very lucky um, and very fortunate I I was um, very keen when I was younger to be a journalist and then I was told at university that I didn't really have a, a negative or a cynical side to me and so like the best <laughs> I was ever going to do was like, you know, and finally on the six o'clock news um, and, uh, you know, like, you know, duck was saved by a cat who got stuck on a tree and I just thought, oh, okay, I wanted to be Kate AD. Um, I didn't want to be that. So, um that led me down a route of looking at a different kind of communication skills, uh, which led me to um, like kind of marketing as a as a thing. Um, mm. And then I I was in that era where the internet was like just just starting to become 
like kind of interesting but it wasn't mainstream and I I wrote my dissertation I taught myself html and I wrote my dissertation online um Mm. and then I got some pretty harsh feedback from my from my uh university who I am now you know gratefully working with as a as an advisor to the board but at the time it was like yeah this you know this isn't this isn't um uh normal to um this is highly uh, unconventional to hand in your dissertation as a uh, as an HTML website. Uh, so I didn't get a good grade, um, uh, and so then I kind of that set me off on a journey. On I, I reckon the internet's going to be more than than you think. Um, mm. So so I started kind of proving my lecturer wrong, and I don't think I've stopped. Uh, so, <laughs> so I was really lucky, I, you know, I started building, um, I was with a young team that started building a dot com, one of the first dot coms that really um, kind of made a difference, uh, free pages, mm-hmm. which launched as Scoot. Uh, and then I went to Microsoft and they were just building MSN and they were like, well, you know, we need somebody with internet experience. And that there wasn't that many people with internet experience. So uh, like kind of I was looking behind me going, who's that then? It's like, oh, I, I guess I've got one. Um, and we, you know, we bought Hotmail. We, we rebranded that. We launched that as a, a web uh, email service. We mm. then built uh, Internet Explorer. Sorry, not Internet Explorer. We then built an instant messenger. Um, and and we used the community on the, on the internet, which was still like the um, – you know the forefront of of the of, of the um, adopters. So, like early mm. adopters of new technology are very passionate, and they think it's theirs. So we made them feel that like instant messenger was theirs. So they designed a lot of the icons, they designed a lot of the emojis, um, and we got mm. millions of people to use instant messenger. Um, and out of that, I think I learned I learned a lot because in those days, like you know, a company could grow really quickly, and then you had to like um, you had to do the opposite and like if you were going to get ready for sale which is what we did with the scoot we had to we had to let a lot of people go as well and yeah. i was young so i learned a lot about how to treat people and how to do it well uh, and i made sure that it wasn't about letting people go it was about helping people find the next journey and that was the outcome not the letting them go and so that those types of experience um i guess they you know they do say that internet years are a bit like dog years and so <laughs> Uh, I got a lot of like, experience in a very short period of time of like how to treat people, why strategy is so important for direction, and like why people like clarity and purpose and, and clarity and what's expected of them, um, and uh, and that that kind of led me well into then people started naturally coming to me and asking questions and. Um, got me interested in what does it mean to be a leader of people um, and I you know started quite young in leading teams and, and building teams um, and at the time there were like people that were a lot more experienced than me so you learn a lot um, from from that and I've always I've always believed that if I hire people that are willing like that I'm willing to work for um, and mm. vice versa then you're going to learn more so I've always hired people who I think are far more qualified than I am uh, and uh, and hopefully I can add value to their journey and that that becomes a two-way thing so I think um yeah I had an amazing had an amazing career in Microsoft 
mainly because they help you develop a lot about understanding yourself. Mm. Um, so while we were building something that you know was taking off in the market at the same time, we also had a lot of investment put in our ourselves for how to learn about who we are as people, who we are as managers, who we are as leaders. Um, uh, and then working, I think, across countries and across borders really helps your humility. It like, helps you be more sensitive. It helps you read social cues better. Um, even when you don't speak the language, you can start what, reading the body language much better. And, and so like kind of traveling and working in different countries and learning uh, the different cultural sensitivities uh, around introducing consumer facing like apps and, and web services uh, it's it's a it's an anthropological journey. So um, if you're you know if you're that if you're interested in that, which I always have been, I kind of I learned so much and I continue to learn so much by really just connecting with people uh, and understanding how to how to make things that are useful for people. And I think what I've learned I didn't know this at the time, but what I've learned over time is that I really truly believe that technology. Um, it can it can bring the opposite, but I think technology is a, a big bringer of progress. It really mm. helps people and it helps communities. And if it's used in the right way, it can have a phenomenally positive impact on the world. Yeah, great power for good or or, or evil. <laughs> yeah. um, that's such a such a journey and such a fast track of experience. What's the, what's the sort of one piece of advice um, you wish you had when you were just like starting out? Um, actually, one of my old bosses said it to me right at the right time, and uh, and he, I was sitting down with him and talking about what's next and how we were going to get to the next wave of growth, and uh, and he said something about why are you driving so fast, and uh, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting, like because there was a sense of urgency that I, everything had to be done now and. And I think I'm like that anyway in life as well. Like if you buy a house, I've already kind of partially decorated it. I know where the Christmas tree is going to go. I haven't bought it yet, and like kind of, or anything like that. And um, it was or really completely re rebuilt it. Or completely rebuilt it without. Um, and I, yeah, I just think it, it was it landed at the right time. Um, a guy called Jeff Sutton, and he and it it, it was just like you know what? Yeah, that not everything done well has to be done really fast. Um, and it just made me realize that, uh, you know, the throttle pedal is useful for some instances, but sometimes it's really good to stop and reflect. And that, mm. I think that was, I wish I'd have learned that earlier um, when I was trying to just probably push and drive the companies too fast. Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, one of the great books I've really enjoyed recently is <clears throat> Life is in the Transitions. And, and people think there's this linear career that, that goes now there's some sort of school, university. But if you just talk to any humans, you'll realize it's very linear, a very um, undulating and oscillating. And indeed, sometimes circular, you come back and you, uh, as uh, Little Gidding, the poem says, you know, you, you come back to the same place and know it for the first time. Um, but it's not linear. And you have some highs and lows in those transition points. And we have transition points every 18 months, they reckon, on average. You've had a whole range of transition points. What do you reckon as you look at those transition points? What have been perhaps some of your darkest moments? And then what have been some of your proudest moments in those transitions that you had? And what did you learn from it as a leader? 
I've learned, I mean, to your point, I've learned to, um, I've learned to know when I'm in the journey and try and enjoy the journey rather than the destination more. Um, uh, and being really conscious of that, uh, even though, you know, what's going on at that time might not be the best thing. Uh, I think the darkest, the darkest point that I, I keep relearning, um, uh, and I love them and curse them at the same time. My parents taught me a set of values that um, it took me a while to realize what they were. And then when I, when I found out what they were, I think I found out by when some of them were being challenged uh, and I didn't know why I was unhappy about either a circumstance at work or where I was working for someone where our values just didn't match. Um, and so how we went about either treating people or like dealing with um, uh, projects was really different. Um, and it took me ages to realize why, uh, like kind of I had a problem or I wasn't gelling with a particular person or I didn't li like the circumstance I was being put in. Um, and that, now that I've learned that, I know exactly what triggers and like kind of what my values are that I can't cross. Um, and then it took me another journey of learning to know that that was happening and to draw a line on it and say, right, I'm going to walk away from this because I know it's really important to me and I don't want to put myself in that position again. And that that took a lot of confidence because like, I was the kind of person and I, I probably still am by default. I'm like, OK, what am I doing wrong here? What can I change? Like, why doesn't this feel right? So I think my darkest moments is when I've had a value clash with somebody that either I've worked with or worked for and uh, and I haven't caught it early enough. Um, and then I think some of my proudest moments, uh, it's normally when I catch up with somebody that either, either has worked for me or we've worked together and they've gone off and achieved something that they always shared that they wanted to, but they never thought they could. And then they've come back and said, oh, guess what? So I've got I'm really fortunate. I've got quite a few people who I've worked with that have gone on to like amazing jobs and amazing careers. And, um, and like, yeah, they've come back to me and said, oh, like, just by the way, I'm doing this or this is all thanks to you. Or And that's when. That's when I felt most proud because it feels like you have had an impact, even if it's some small way, on somebody else's like happiness. Yeah, and just like Layla Woodington, who we had on series before, she she was very influenced and encouraged by you. And thank you for recommending. We've got a quick question from Don Mackinter, and Don um, is in risk management in business, having been a very successful army officer. Um, his question here: What were the key learnings and development points your MBA? Um, other than a formal qualification you took from it? And how have you used it since 2007? Um, well, my MBA was awesome. Um, I did it at Open University, so it was a correspondence course, and then we got together with a group of people um, I, like kind of uh, every month. Um, I think the, they divided it into four quadrants, and so there was like organisational strategy, there was finance and um, uh, understanding, like kind of you're navigating your P&L, um, there was a strategy and then there was people. And I think what I, I still think like that when I'm trying to fix a problem in a business, I'm like, where does this fit? Because sometimes it feels like it's a people issue and then it turns out to be um, actually about an organizational strategy issue or a, uh, or a finance issue. So um, 
that quadrant thing really helps. But actually, I think the, the most important, well, actually, I don't know it's the most, but there was a lot of modules and a lot of um, uh, theories and and uh, and um, models that I can use that help me think and help me sort out my thinking. Um, and it and it's a bit like kind of it's a cheap way of employing McKinsey because if you've got a lot of models that you're like, okay, I'm trying to think around like a very complex issue and don't know what the answer is. I look to my like MBA notes and, and my books and go, is there any model that I can kind of put this in that just helps me sort this out? Um, so I think that's the most useful. Um, I also really like the reading of case studies. It's a bit like law or history. You look back and see what other companies have done in certain circumstances. And I think that's like right reading a story that you're like, oh, OK, yeah, that's similar. That's similar. I, you know, I've seen a similar story that I went through with Microsoft with Netscape and the and the browser wars was exactly the same story of what um, Facebook faced a couple of years ago with um, uh, the Cambridge Analytica issues. Uh, and so I was able to extract the principles of what I'd learnt uh, and how leadership responded to that in Microsoft and try and advise Facebook on like, hey, this is this is some war wounds that might be useful. Very useful. And that's because Ben took a lot from his MBA and he luckily got it in spite of me being <laughs> because of you, because of you, Jonathan, I, I did well. <laughs> Um, just sort of jumping jumping ahead to to a section we always look at around um, the habits that have actually made you successful. So we, we sort of um, subscribe to the adage that that successful people have have things they do consistently through their lives, um, or, or or try to do consistently through their lives, which have made them successful. So we split that into sort of healthy, wealthy, and wise to to, to just sort of um, uh, get a bit of variety. So um, how have you sort of stayed uh, healthy during during your your career? I'm sure you've had some some pretty stressful um, stressful moments. But what's been sort of key to sort of saying healthy mentally and physically? Um, I think having something outside of work that's as important is really important. Um, I was in, I was in a course once uh, with other managers at Microsoft, and we had to introduce ourselves and. I think it was a course, yeah. Well, and, and I said something about uh, like there's nothing that comes before me and my family. Um, and one of the other managers was like, that, "That's really brave thing to say in work." And I didn't occur. It, I didn't think it was brave at all. I was like, "No, like it's just why would like I love you guys to bits, but um, why would I put you before me and my family? That's crazy." Mm. Um, and uh, so I think that balance um, and having something that that is the reason why you work not the other way around it i think is really important so that mm. um i've always i've always found people more interesting as well when they've got some other hus like side hustle like whether it's a sport or you know an interest or like kind of a a, a a musical talent or like people who have got other things going on in their lives are just much more interesting to talk to and mm. uh, um, my nan used to have a saying that like only bored people get only boring people get bored, hmm. and uh, and like I don't know why, but that really struck me. And so I was like, right, my God, I don't want to be boring. So <laughs> I've tried to do as many things as possible in my life, and like you know, the ones that I've really enjoyed, I, I stick at, and the ones that I haven't enjoyed, I've like you know, give myself a pat on the back for trying, but <laughs> I have to beat myself up over not doing it so well. 
I don't and I don't know whether that in school like you know if you're not very good at French or you're not very good at like playing the clarinet you're almost like made to feel like a failure like you've got to be good at one of these things and uh and it took me ages to realize that I might not be good at those things but I can do other stuff and I'm going to try and get as many experiences as possible until I found the thing that I am good at <laughs> it took me a while to find I tell you but <laughs> so what what what's um what's been, been the thing that you that you've um, found um I I I'm an outdoors person so I love horse riding I was never brought up with horses um but when I when I was 30 someone bought me a horse riding lesson for my birthday and I absolutely loved it and then they said, you, you do know you can afford to pay for yourself now. Like, you know, you don't need to worry about your parents not being able to afford to pay for it. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> horse riding has become a big thing for me. And it's and it's a connection with um, what I think are beautiful, majestic animals. Um, I love diving. Uh, I love being under the water. I love exploring new worlds and, and trying to do good with it as well. Um I love skiing. I love being in the mountains. Um, I don't. I don't think I'm good at it, but I'm all right. Uh, um, and yeah, and there's a there's a. I could list off a dozen things that I love doing, but I like I try to keep it as balanced as possible. So I'm always out. Yeah, I love that. My my wife um, has banned me from taking up any more hobbies um since since i finished the mba and and we got got a uh our, our little baby um she said no more hobbies until, until this little one's 16 i'll get around, I'll get around that anyway so um, the next next part is, is looking at wealthy obviously there's lots of people out there who are who are going to be struggling at the moment is there any pieces of advice that you that you give or you've been given about money that you you that you um would like to pass on uh, I'm going to come out with another quote from my nan, which uh, makes me sound like an Victorian person, but she always said, like, what are the pennies and the pounds look off themselves? Um, uh, and so I'm, I'm not particularly, I mean, I've just listed off some very expensive sports, but I'm super careful about um, where, where I put my money and I, you know, I'm not pr particularly frivolous. I, I'm just as happy at shopping in Lidl as I am in Waitrose. Like I, you know, doesn't really mean much to me. Um, I, I try to make sure that I balance um, having enough so that I, I'm not worried, but um, giving enough so that I feel like other people are benefiting. So... For, for me, it's not, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to lie in, you know, on my deathbed at one point and say, oh, I'm really glad I've got that big pot of cash sitting there that I've done nothing with. So um, I I want to make sure that whatever I've got, I'm sharing, like, I'm sharing with people that I love. And uh, and I guess the other thing is that I, I have a sense of, enormous sense of um, personal responsibility I don't ever want to be a burden on somebody. Um, I, I believe that you're kind of brought into this world, like you've just brought in a baby into this world and you want them to be, you know, loved and you want to give them the best possible start in life, but you also want them to be independent and able to look after themselves and like, you know, mm. their own decisions. And uh, I've taken that independence probably to 
uh, an extreme level, which must frustrate my parents quite a lot. But I, I just don't want to be a burden on people. So for me, I don't want to be financially dependent on anyone, and I don't want to, and I don't want to be a burden on the state or the government or anything like that either. So I work really hard, um, and I, but I, but I do it because I, I want to look after myself. Hmm. And finally, a piece of wisdom that you strive to live your life by. <laughs> um, well, I, I really like the you know be the change you want to see in others. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm probably if I was born in the right era, I'm pretty sure I'd have been a, a deeds not words um, woman, um, and I would have been both like you know trying to get the vote. Um, <laughs> maybe not in the same way as they did but I would definitely have stood for that so I, I think yeah actions speak louder than words and if you if you walk and show what leadership looks like then I think others will follow um that's probably what I live my life by yeah that's a good one and, and Philippa you uh, uh we, we've chatted on many times and you've given great input for uh, Lee, my wife's book, the Inspiring Women Leaders book, where she interviewed 200 women like you. Um, uh, what do you reckon, in your opinion, makes an inspiring leader and what makes an inspiring team, a good a good inspiring leader and a good inspiring team? Um, for me, an inspiring leader is someone who uh, knows themselves really well and knows the goods and bad bits of them because nobody's perfect. Um, I, I, I need I need to follow a vision because I'm fairly like kind of future thinking like, as in I look ahead I, I I have to put time aside to make sure that I do the right reflection reflection time as well but my natural way of thinking is what's next and like what if um, so I get really inspired by leaders who have like really clear visions and and can paint pictures for you that you can see what the new world looks like in their in their head so i i get really inspired by that i think inspiring teams for me are ones that everyone is bringing something different and i think there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion around diversity and inclusion and i think that uh brings up certain certain connotations or like uh, assumptions uh, and I mean diversity and inclusion in all sorts of ways, like cognitive diversity, economic diversity, um, social diversity, like all sorts of elements. And I, I get most inspired um, with working in teams and, and building teams that have real richness in, uh, and depth in their different experiences and different aspirations. And then, and then bringing them around some similarities in spirit so if everyone's got kind of a positive attitude and like they want to help each other and they're good people and um you know they're they're proactive then as long as long as that spirit is there then that diversity of strength i think is a as a massive um benefit and it's a fun environment to be in mm -hmm. definitely yeah. Lovely. So we've got a nice question from um, Christopher. I'll just bring it up. One oh, second. Christopher, I just played. Yeah. Yeah. So Christopher, sorry, I'll change the view. <laughs> um, your leadership style and focus on recognizing talent and developing your team is refreshing and inspiring. How have HR added value to your to you and your career, or have they just learned from you? Thank you, Christopher. Uh, and also to give you a bit of background, Christopher's an old friend of mine. 
who was a very successful army officer and now he's an hr director in the company so he's asking from the heart here <laughs> and like me he's dyslexic hence his spelling so don't worry about that i'm dyslexic <laughs> i think your spelling's brilliant um uh well it's um it's interesting and nice that you suggest that they've learned from me i think it depends i think the uh, the answer is it depends and it's been um i've had a a troubled journey with hr um when i was younger i felt frustrated because i didn't think hr was actually about um human resources it was about human remains uh, and i didn't necessarily feel like they were um trying to support me in what i was doing certainly um in my early in career when i was uh, letting a lot of people go because uh, we were getting ready to sell the business uh my my idea was to contact a whole load of recruitment companies and get them to come in and almost like have a milk round so that we could get them into new jobs and uh i i had lots of trouble getting hr bought into that vision because their their primary focus was to get people out as cheaply as possible um and i was in this utopian belief state where it's like why aren't you helping me with this this surely is the better way um, and it wasn't because they were bad people it was because they were doing their jobs and i had misunderstood what their jobs were at the time uh and then i went through like lots of different types of journeys with hr departments and um and i realize now that uh you know depending on the culture and the way that the company's set up that they can be all sorts of useful resources and uh so so now I partner with them really closely and um, I have to like, you know, check myself like what's what's the outcome and what's the purpose we're driving towards here. And then, OK, is it OK or can we think about things slightly differently and we can still get to the same outcome, but we might need to do it a different way. So I, I think I've learned to work with uh, HR in different ways. Um, but I I'm. You know, I'm human, so sometimes I do slot into that like frustrated period where it's like I really want to make sure that we do the right thing by people and the business. And sometimes I feel like I'm uh, not always in line with um, how HR works. So I, I don't know if that I don't know if that answers your question, but um, I guess it, I, if I'm totally and brutally honest, it's been a troubled time. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a very good. Just sort of looking at a, a, a particular leader that's that's, in, that's inspired you, um, and why? Yeah, I think um, like I've worked with loads of really inspiring leaders, and uh, like some of them are names that you've all heard of, and then others aren't. Um, I think if I was going to pick one, was a, that was a, that is a name that everyone's heard of, uh, it would have to be Bill Gates because the the he was very true to his style he's not a um a leader that loves the limelight but he is very kind of a thinking and a nurturing and a caring leader um and he has massive vision uh and he isn't shy of of saying like when either he's been wrong or the vision needs to change um i also learned a lot a hell of a lot in, in working with his like um, business management team about how he his his currency uh, certainly when I joined Microsoft and he was still active in the business his currency that he knew was the most precious thing he had was time and so all he managed was his time and how much he spent time with customers and how much he spent time with employees and how much he spent time with his family um, and that 
that was amazing to see how someone operated like that. He knew exactly where he was going to be every single day for a year ahead. It made him able to then understand what compromises he was making if he had to change those those commitments. Um, and he and like how he operates uh, still, I just think is extraordinary. Um, but as I said, like there, there's just so many leaders that I've learned from. I, I spoke to Jonathan a while ago about one that I I worked with very early in my career called Duncan McKillop, and he was um, he was the like IT um, the chief technology officer for Scoot, uh, and he was just amazing. He had the most incredible skill of simplifying complex issues and then taking the company with him and doing it in a very human way. Uh, and I was I was really inspired by that because he really taught me that you could be yourself um, no matter where you're at in the company. And I, yeah, I still I still take a lot from him. Yeah, yeah. You, you've been very good in the way you've you've looked after people. Sorry, Ben, I, I cut you off. Were you going to say? No, I was just just going to say that I started watching the um, the Bill Gates documentary um, on Netflix and just fascinating. Just sort of looking at his from being it sort of takes it from from when he's a kid and, and growing up and how intelligent he was as, as a kid and how his mother sort of almost had to manage 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 him because he was just so intelligent he had figured out by 14 that the rules didn't apply to him and then and and and, and yes yeah, it's, it's really good sort of story but then the work he's doing with the, the the gates foundation now is just phenomenal yeah amazing and also, he was very inspiring, I found, on the TEDx talk, warning us about a virus that was going to come and the work that was needed, which leads us nicely into, um, we're now at the stage where we're into wave two in the UK and in many countries. Some of the scientists that I know say, if we don't get this right, this could be bigger than wave one, particularly being in winter. So what's been the impact of COVID for you personally and in the different organizations you've worked in because you were in Facebook and then you've come into the trade desk? Yeah, I mean, I think personally, like many people, I've spent a lot more time at home, um, which has been a, an absolute gift and privilege. Like, I, you know, spent much more time with my family. Um, uh, I've also, you know, I was traveling a lot and so, I, like the the time I've been given back by not traveling and not commuting I've done 5k a day for um the last six months uh, and I'm as I said to you earlier I'm not built for running but it's um really changed my uh thinking I'm I've always been an active person but I've never been like particularly cardio active and um running has really like I mean, it's the, the headspace that it gives you and the things that you sort out in your head while you're running is just uh, eye opening for me. So I've absolutely loved that. Um, uh, I think I've I think I've been much more careful and like cognizant about uh, the costs and, like, you know, the running of the of the household and like, you know, groceries and like, am I eating healthily enough and not in Facebook? Like, you know, they provide all the food for you and you kind of get really lazy and don't think about it. And that and that got me into really bad habits. And I think it's uh, as much as I'm pretty sure like the younger generation or uh, like love, like going into companies like that, where like, you know, it's all free food and all that sort of thing. The, there's negatives to that as well like you know it tends to be that you get a bit lazy and you don't eat as healthily as you should and um, you probably don't go home early enough and spend as much time with your family as you should either because you don't you know that everything's put on for you so um, 
I think that's from personal point of view, it's been uh, it's been really beneficial. Um, I've really missed the working environment in an, in an office, and I'm sure lots of people have. Uh, I'm one of the lucky ones. I've got, you know, like a house where I can work in one room. Like, um, admittedly, it's my sitting room, which I tend to avoid in, in the weekend now. But, it, you know, I've got a room to work in and like my other half works in the, um, in another room. Uh, I know there are people that just don't have that and like uh, uh, kind of in smaller properties or flats and, and they don't have that space. And so it's really difficult for people. Um, I think uh, I think I'm sad because I think the, the handshake is probably long gone. I'm, I'm not sure that's ever going to come back. And and I'm not a handshaker, but I'm definitely a hugger. And uh, and that I don't know if it's I don't know if that's going to come back at all. Um, and I think I worry. We uh, I was with some friends um, the other night on a Zoom, and we were talking about you know the long term like impacts on society and. I would be really sad if in, in three or four generations time, nobody really hugs. I think that would be awful. Um, so mm. I, I think there are there are anthropological impacts that we don't even know about yet that are going to make people really cautious about how they work together and how they show care and, and consideration for others. Um, and then and then on a on a business side, um, you know, we're doing it today. Like body language, you've only got half body language. You've got people's heads and you've got their shoulders. Uh, I, I joined the trade desk in lockdown. I, I, like, I've got no idea how tall everyone is or, you know, like, kind of, you know what, they, what they really look like. They, you know, uh, someone said to me the other day, oh, like, you know, like, are you really short? And I was like, actually, yeah, I, I am. <laughs> I'm going to need a cushion when I get in. Um, and... Uh, and so, like that, I think there's a whole load of social cues that um, people are missing. And uh, I've hired. Um, we've been fortunate, and we've been able to hire people during lockdown. And um, I've, I've, hopefully, we've got better at onboarding people who have never been in the offices, uh, but mm. they still need to feel the culture. And so we've done that through, you know, fun social um uh kind of online experiences you can you can do team building online um we did a, a team on site online last week um where it was from all different countries um uh but we really got to know each other well and like the biggest compliment i think i was pleased to get is a couple of the teams said it, i forgot that we weren't in the same room um halfway through this and it was like that is amazing um and I and I never thought we'd be there. So I think there's that you can make up for it, but I, I just don't know. It's ever going to be the same without human interaction and without like feeling, you know, feeling people's feelings. Um, so it, it's been. I think this. I think it's been really amazing and really hard for people at the same time. And good leaders recognise that and try and try and like accelerate the benefits, but then. Um, overcome the the poor or the or the less than optimal experiences mm. and that comes on to, to to the next question which which is is how you feel that these changes have actually impacted leadership and um how people are leading now and in the future sort of get over those those sort of hurdles yeah, i mean i think um I 
don't, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I have found that um, sometimes the pace of business in companies is, is quite relentless and you might have like half hour one-to-ones with people and you just you have the one-to-one and you're just straight into like right what do we got to talk about what do we got to what are the issues uh, and uh and i've been very cognizant of saying are you okay how are you feeling about things how how are you managing at home is there anything like you know that we can do to make it more comfortable and I, i've definitely noticed there's probably i've forced a longer period at the beginning to just check in with people and and see if they're kind of coping all right. Um, I think team building, as I said, it, it's just you've got to do it differently. Um, and it, I think it can be done. You can do online, like, um, uh, you know, escape the rooms. You can do like <laughs> online taco building or cocktail making. And there are things that you can do. With, um, uh, you can do like, you know, a lot of people have done quizzes with their families and stuff like that. Mm. I, I, recent no, I'm sure everyone um lots of people have had babies during lockdown and uh, and so we've done baby showers in lockdown and so I think the same the same way that you're coping with it out of work you need to bring those kind of principles into work as people mm. are people um and and I think the other the other thing that we're we're working through at the moment is like this pressure of like some people really want to go back to the offices uh and um really want the the kind of social interaction um that the offices provided for them and then some people are really nervous about going back into the offices especially if they have to get on public transport mm. and so uh, i think it's a really fine line that the leader has to um play as well i've been very conscious about even though we've got partially like you know some of our offices are open um it's a it's a much bigger decision about if i go in what does that say to people is that saying mm. like there's an expectation that you should go in or is that saying it's okay if you want to go in, but it's if you don't, that's fine too. And I've been really like spending time thinking about what my behaviour and how other leaders' behaviours need to um, reflect like choice, not just this is one way or another. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, we did a um, a virtual uh, horse racing, like everyone dressed up. Awesome. And then, and like on one Friday, Friday afternoon, because so we yeah, we got pretty, pretty, uh, pretty involved. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's great the way to do that. Another another group I was with, they had to wear something on their head, which of course you think's hat, but one chap put a cat on his head, <laughs> like, hmm. curled around. So hilarious. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about crisis and uh, change. Um, what was your top tips for leading? in a crisis and change we've got one crisis which will go on for some years but but there's been many others and there will be more in the future what's if you give a couple of top tips for them yeah i think um human beings tend not to like change especially on their if they're on the receiving end of it so um finding ways of making people feel like they're in control um of that change and that they are able to make decisions around it i think is a very empowering thing so um i've I've tried my hardest to um, think about the areas where you can give control back to people uh, so they feel like they're making decisions and, and that they're able to make, that they're able to feel like they're in control of, uh, uh, of like kind of the decisions they're making. Yeah. Um, and, I, 
and I also think people don't like ambiguity. Like there are a few people that really thrive under it. Uh, I'm a I'm a curious one there, like because I think I actually quite like it. But most people I don't think do like ambiguity, and so I I feel like you know good leaders understand where people are feeling unclear or uh, or worried, um, and try and try and paint a picture of. Um, what the future could look like and, uh, and a vision so that people feel like they've got clarity in their direction. Uh, I found that people like really like to hold on to that uh, because it, it helps them navigate where they feel things are ambiguous. So even in, you know, even in times where uh, I, I know a lot of people at the moment are trying to move, um, certainly in New York, there's a lot of people moving out of New York and into the suburbs um, uh, for obvious reasons. They don't want to be in the centre of, uh, of the city. Uh, moving normally is a like a stressful thing anyway. Moving during COVID is like the added stress. So like, you know, just helping them feel more secure and that work is a place that is predictable and you know this is the direction we're going in and this is what good looks like and this is what success looks like just helps people like um navigate all of the other stuff they're dealing with at the same time and, and you've reminded me um, the work of david rock a neuroscientist dr david rock uh, fits with what you've been saying that if you want people to think well think when it's stressful there's the mnemonic scarf like around your neck so status so lift their status reduce yours you know make them uh, highlight what they're doing well c for certainty as you say try and reduce the ambiguity and give them some kind of plan some kind of uh, format of what's going on a autonomy let them get on and do their own thing stop micromanaging them are related to create an environment where they they feel that you're a friend rather than a foe and finally f for fairness Make sure things are fair. Humans really hate things when they're unfair. So I think that's quite demonic for people to use in a crisis. Thank you, Philip. So, Ben, of you. Ben Cat has come back with um, a shortened version of his um, previous question. So we can we can go to that, actually. Um, so, yeah. So, Ben uh, Cat, uh, what is your advice to someone who is young and doesn't know who he really is? Or what he's really good at and, and doesn't know what to do with with his career how can i get myself together and be successful in my career mm. um you know what i think the more you can learn about yourself the better so um you know like you can go on to like myers-briggs and strength finder and uh, there's a number of different like personality tests you can do and they all should be a little bit taken with a pinch of salt because it really makes me giggle. You fill in all these like multiple choice questions and then it comes back and you're like, that's that's like just like me. And you're surprised. You're the one that's filled in the questions. But it actually just helps you um, understand like what what you're like and how to articulate it more clearly. So I would do as many of those as you can as possible. Um, I'd also, I, I love this exercise and I do it, I try and do it kind of every five or so years um, where I take, four or five people that I really respect. They don't have to be my friends, but um, they know me in a work circumstance. They know me in a social circumstance. They're my family. And I'll, I'll ask them a question um, that pr provokes them to try and explain what I'm like to them. So I've done it like, you know, if I was a biscuit, what biscuit would be I'd be? If I was a car, what car would I be and why? And, and just ask them like kind of those questions 
because what they come back with is like a mirror of like they're holding a mirror up against yourself so i think that's really useful and then and then the more you learn about you then how you apply that to making choices in career i think most people are daunted by how much choice there is versus how little um and so really pragmatic stuff write down all the things you really enjoy doing what's your ideal day at work what would you be doing uh, what would it entail and then write down all of the things you don't particularly enjoy doing and then there might be a middle column which is the the compromise like what are the things that you're okay at or you might be quite good at but you don't particularly enjoy it and then what you're looking for is something that really emphasize the things that you enjoy doing and that you're good at and something that doesn't like lay to the strengths that you're you're not so good at or you don't enjoy and that helps me um figure out like how to navigate then looking at different careers whether i would be better customer facing or not or whether i'd be good at solution building or whether i'm uh, actually you know not very good at solution building but i'm brilliant at um going and project managing something once the solution's been decided and and it just helps you start narrowing down the kind of roles that you'd look at they they're the things that i've done religiously in my in my time great wisdom <laughs> yeah, i love the love the biscuit question uh, yeah. <laughs> so last couple of questions before we finish on the air um what would you like your legacy to be philippa in your lifetime rather than in your lunchtime? <laughs> um, I think it's actually something that, uh, Jonathan, your wife said to me once, and she said, are you living your life on purpose or not? And, uh, and I hadn't thought of the or not. And I was like, God, what does it look like if you're not living your life on purpose? And then I realized like off purpose would be like an accident. Um, so I think I'd like my legacy to be that um, I'd lived my life on purpose and I'd I'd brought a little bit of happiness or difference to everyone that I've I've met and touched. Brilliant. Love it. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. That has been um, fantastic talking to you, Philippa. Final question. Um, just would be great to get a book recommendation either something that's been been formative during your your, your life or, or just something you picked up during lockdown um which um you'd like to share so um i wish it was going to be something like hugely like sophisticated that makes me sound like a real, um but when but it's not it's um my favorite book at the moment and i keep reading it uh, because i think it's very beautiful is the boy the mole the fox and the horse and it's by charlie mckinsey and it's just um, yeah. a beautiful, beautiful book and mm. it's got wonderful values and sentiments in it mm. that I think every child should be brought up with. Do you know just what brought a print for my, my daughter's um, bedroom. Yeah. One of them. Yeah. It's even more poignant than that. Uh, Lee's mother, we had a funeral last Monday and while she was alive and she'd been ill for the last three years, Lee read her that book. Mm. <laughs> It's a stunning, stunning book, and I, uh, yeah, I think it's yeah. a little piece of joy. That's yeah. sitting, you need it. Amazing, yeah. Philip, please stay on when we go off off air. Um, it's been an absolute joy having you on, and I know people uh, have benefited from it. And Senka, even you've left a legacy for him with the advice. It's been great. Thank you so much for being on the Thank series. You. Thank yeah. you. Thanks very much, and thanks everyone for for listening.
So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.